Welcome everyone to today's Healing Our Sight podcast. I am delighted to have today with me Karen Rinaldini and Melissa Daniels. They're going to share a little bit about what's happened since the last time they were on my podcast. For those of you who've been following, uh, Karen was on episode five and Melissa was on episode seven. And we're going to be updating each of you on what has transpired since they shared their stories on my podcast previously. If you want the full story, you're going to want to listen to the original episode. So we talked a little bit in the previous podcast episodes about Melissa's website and also the support group that Karen moderates. So today we're going to get a picture of where each of them are today and what each of them are doing to support our strabismic community on an ongoing basis. So Karen, do you want to give us a little update on where things stand today in your vision therapy journey? Sure. Uh, My vision therapy journey continues. Uh, It is still a lot of hard work. And progress is actually very, very random. So I can work on something for a while and see no progress. And then all of a sudden I do. So I'm not giving up and I'm moving forward. I actually told my doctor, I said, I'm thinking this year will be the last year. And he told me, he said, Karen, you keep improving. You keep making progress. Let's keep going. So I'm going and I'm moving forward. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what differences you've seen as your vision has improved? So more clarity, more more 3D. Um, I have less headaches, which is a really, really nice plus. The 3D is what I'm really trying to focus in on right now. And I'm so close. I do see, for example, in 3D movies, I do see the 3D inside the movie, but I do not see any images coming off the screen. And that is what I'm really focused on right now. It happened once a year ago. And for some reason I had to slow down on therapy, but I'm anxious for it to happen again. And I I know it will. What I find very interesting is that I can do an exercise and not see anything. And then all of a sudden I get to a point where I feel like my brain understands it and knows that it's there, but just can't see it yet. And that's a really exciting moment in therapy because that that means I know if I keep working on it and it will happen and it always does. So this is three years in and it's still happening. That's so awesome. And Melissa, you graduated from vision therapy already, correct? Yes, kind of. <laughs> All right. As far as going to the doctor's office and having the therapy in the office though, right? Right. Well, I mean, I decided I wanted to graduate because I'd made so much progress and I wanted to celebrate the progress that I'd made. So I decided I wanted to graduate, even though I, you know, like Karen, I know there's more work. I know my vision's not perfect and I want it to keep getting better, but I wanted to kind of have that celebration and then move on. So now I go in about once a month or every other month. So I'm still actively working on improving my vision. I haven't just like stopped and turned to like maintenance. We're still trying to get better. Nice. And what kinds of things have you experienced as you've started to gain some 3D? Oh, so many things. I I feel like 
just the way I feel in my environment, I feel so much more secure about where I am in space. I know how far away something is or when I'm going through a doorway or up and down stairs, when I'm driving in a car, all of those things, I just feel a lot more secure. Um, there's less worry about am I, how far away am I from a, a car, even though I don't have perfect stereo vision, it's so much better than it was before. So I feel a lot more safe and just able to move around, do different things. I mean, of course, like I love to find little parts of life that are amazing in 3d, like bugs, bugs are just so funny, like swarms of bugs. I don't know if you guys have experienced that one, but it's a favorite snow falling, um, like flocks of birds, different things like that. I really, those are just kind of like fun. It's like the candy, right? Like I don't necessarily need that to be successful in life, but it's sure fun. Yeah. For sure. I'm, I'm obsessed with like exit signs hanging from ceilings. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Like those things that take up space that you just didn't realize. Yeah. I totally know what you mean. That's like, Oh my gosh, that's not just like flat on the wall. There's like something there or freeway signs on the freeway They're They look like they're just floating in space. Whereas before, I don't know what I thought they were doing, but now I see it and it's, it's, it's very incredible to look at. Right. Yeah. Well, I've noticed that my ceiling fan is actually hanging down from this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whereas when I moved into this house, it wasn't doing that so much. Yes. Today, somebody slid some papers across the table at me and they, they went flying towards me and I caught them. And, and the people in the room were like, nice save. And I'm thinking, yeah, you don't even know how nice that was. <laughs> because years ago, that would have for sure been on the floor. <laughs> so you also have some ongoing home therapy. And I, I am assuming both of you do things that you're doing at home all the time. What would that look like exactly? Like a certain amount of time you spend every day and types of things you do. My goal right now is to do four exercises a day. I like made a whole list of like every exercise I've ever done that was helpful and categorized them into different categories of like fusion and stereopsis and peripheral vision, like all these different areas. And every week I pick one from each area and I try to do each one for five minutes a day. And sometimes it turns into more, or I'll also watch a 3D movie later, or maybe do something on virtual reality. I'm still keeping up with the basics, things like, you know, the Brock string or peripheral vision activities that you do on a window, things like that, because I feel like all of it, it's not just the virtual reality or the vectograms or the red and green glasses, like all the like foundational parts, I feel like are just as important still, even years later, after I've done them all so many times, they still make a big difference. So I kind of do a well-rounded and then I go into my therapy, my office and I say, okay, this is what I've been working on. This is what I'm struggling with. Like, how would you, you know, and they kind of steer me in a better direction if they need to. So that's basically what I do right now. And it seems to be working. Okay. I don't know that I'm progressing as much, but I'm definitely not going back anymore. I was for a little while. You're so organized about it. I really wish I was that organized. <laughs> Do you have a, a certain plan too, Karen, because you're seeing your doctor still, I guess. Yeah, I graduated from once a week to twice a month, which I'm very proud of. Yeah. But what I've noticed, I, I had to take about a six month break. And what was interesting was the skills that I 100% mastered, I didn't lose. 
and the skills that I hadn't fully mastered, I kind of fell behind on. So usually what happens is I go in and the doctor assigns a, a, a new exercise. And half the time I say, I love the fact that he is so positive about my progress that he thinks I can do this, but actually we need to find a different way to do this. Cause this, I'm not seeing this happening. Um, actually it was very cute. A few weeks ago, he gave me something that I had done a long time before and it was very easy. It was monocular jumps with the prism. And I did them all week thinking, wow, um, this was so easy. And I was so proud of myself that I, he, I think he probably gave it to me psychologically to make me feel good about something. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I usually have about two or three exercises plus the virtual reality and the 3D movies. I do try to watch the 3D movie as much as I can because I'm waiting for it to uh, jump off the screen. And when it does, I think the whole world will know about it. So it's, it's coming, <laughs> coming. That's going to be so awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like all of us are watching 3D movies as part of our therapy, right? Because I, yes, I try to do that too. Yeah. It's, it's the fun part, right? We have to have that. Um, it's just, you can lay, sit there on the couch and be a little bit lazy and it's still vision therapy exercise. It doesn't require so much involvement, which is nice sometimes. Yeah, for sure. The fact that you wrote this course on mastering peripheral, was that because you organized all your activities and decided, oh, I need to do this and this and this and this, and here's all my peripheral activities? You know, the, the course actually came before that. The course came... Um, at a point I was about six months after surgery, or maybe it was a year after surgery. And I just started really employing some peripheral techniques into the therapy I was doing in office. And it was working so well. Um, a lot of it comes from David Cook. And I started having so much more success. And my depth perception was changing so much, even though I maybe couldn't, I still can't do like the Randot stereograms. I could drive better and play tennis better, all these things. And I knew it was this peripheral piece and I was missing it, right? For those first like two years of vision therapy, they would say, open your peripheral, use your peripheral. And I'd be like, okay, whatever. And just kind of ignore it. And I was like, no, that was actually like the most important part of everything. And so that's why I created a course. It's basically designed for people who are in vision therapy to help them with this like really important foundational piece that's going to basically bridge the way for everything else they do in therapy. So that's where it came from. I definitely do those exercises though. I have different exercises in the course. I definitely include those in my vision therapy now, but yeah, that's where the peripheral exercises came from. Everything else just came from my homework sheets that I've seen throughout <laughs> the years. Nice. So I think that people are probably going to get the idea by now that we're all very highly motivated to help others gain the kinds of results that we've had as we've gone through this whole process. And I want to just make a note that for all three of us, it took doing vision therapy as well as surgery to get to where we are right now. So Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about what motivates you to continue being that the sole moderator for your Facebook support group, Looking Ahead, Mr. Business Support? Absolutely. To me, it is mind-blowing that my entire life, I was told there was nothing I could do about my strabismus, that I would just not be able to fly an airplane or play golf, but my rest of my life would be okay. 
And it took until I was 48 to realize that I could have surgery and 50 to to do vision therapy. And I feel like I want to scream it from the rooftops and I want other people to know about this option and the possibility of fixing this or doing something about it. It's, it's absolutely mind blowing to me that more people do not know about this. And it's very sad to me that people take the either or decision, surgery or vision therapy, and you can do both. And if you think about it, when you have a knee problem, you do physical therapy and surgery. You have a heart attack, you have heart surgery, and you do rehab. Why aren't we doing this for our eyes? That's really the why. And if I can help people in any way, shape, or form, then I would like to. And I know, Denise, you're doing a marvelous job with your podcast, and Melissa, with your website and what you're doing is uh, absolutely incredible. And I admire both of you. And I'm grateful that I'm friends with the two of you and that we can share our journey together. Thank you. Same. Appreciate that. Um, what does being the moderator entail for you? So basically right now I'm approving posts. Uh, for a while I was having a lot of spam come in there and I'm not anymore, which is very nice. I should be posting more, which now that I've said that, I will I will do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I will say for some odd reason, the last few weeks, we've had many more people join and post, which I'm thrilled about. We're at 2,100 members. I think when this started, there was about 500. So it's it's great that there is more awareness going on out there. Yeah, that is awesome. What would you think would be the biggest concern that you see and you know what the thing that we want to really do to support people in this community? What I what I think the biggest problem is is people don't understand all their options. They they just don't understand all the options they are. And I think the biggest thing is to learn from other people and then find options for themselves. Now it's not that everyone's uh is is not the same and everyone needs a different sort of treatment. But just knowing where to find the options is key or knowing that they're a success, knowing the possibility. I mean, the three of us saying, hey, we see in 3D, which is something we never, ever thought we'd ever, ever be able to do is incredible. And I I would like other people to know that they have that opportunity, too. Great. And I, I wanted to just mention one thing. I did do a little bit of a survey of the groups that I joined on Facebook about two and a half years ago when I started thinking about doing the podcast. And when I joined the groups, there were about 41,000 total people that I, when I added all the different groups up together. And I did this again last week and there's now like 65,000 people. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of people and there could be crossover between the groups. I'm sure there is, but that's still a fairly large community of people that do know that there's some need for support. You know, they're not blindly just going about their life thinking that this is just how everyone sees. Uh, they're they're actually looking for, for something. And I think it's great that we have the opportunity to provide some insight. Absolutely. And the thing is, is if one doctor says, no, there's nothing you can do, search for someone else. 
Exactly. Please <laughs> search for someone else. Because we've all had that experience, right? When someone said multiple it. times. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I texted the two of you. I was sitting in an optometrist's office with my sister, and the optometrist told her that she had strabismus, but there was really nothing she should do about it. Um, possibly in the future, some patching may help. And I wanted to scream. It was the worst feeling. It was horrible. <laughs> Did you give him a piece of your mind? Well, I think I'm going to send her fixing my gaze. Just send it to her in the mail. Let her read it. <laughs> well, we hope that she will read it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're talking about sending it to your sister or to the doctor? To the doctor. <laughs> They both need it though, right? They both need it. Yes, definitely. So Melissa, you've now expanded your website and added a YouTube channel since we last had you on the podcast, right? Yes. I don't remember the exact timeline, but yes, I have a YouTube channel. (laughs) Yes. I think it was after that you added the YouTube channel. So you're getting a lot of input probably from people based on that, right? What do you see as the biggest concern? Well, there are two different concerns. We can look at the concern of each individual person. And then there's also the concern with helping people with strabismus as a whole. And so for the individuals, what I see people commenting and posting and asking questions about is what can I do to get this result right now? And to me, that is something it's it's hard to help people see no matter what direction you go, this is going to take time. And, you know, like Karen said, they'll go to a doctor and they'll say, there's nothing you can do. And so then they just stop there and give up. Right. Or they'll go to a surgeon and the surgeon will say vision therapy won't work. And then they go to the vision therapist and they say surgery won't work. So there's a lot of confusion. And a lot of times when they're confused, they just don't do anything because it's like, well, I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'll just do nothing. And So I think that's where a lot of individuals are. There's a lot of confusion because of, you know, differing opinions, bias going around and just that strabismus is really a hard one to solve. Like even if somebody wasn't biased, knowing like, okay, should we do vision therapy first? Should we do surgery first? Like what, how long do you do? Like there's so many different factors and within the vision therapy and surgery, there's different techniques. Like there is so much that goes into strabismus. And so there's a lot of confusion as the patient, like there are risks involved, like whatever you do, like there's no path that's going to be a hundred percent success rate. And so I think that can be really stifling for people. Yeah. And you know, that same problem carries over into just like people as a population, there's just not a lot of information about how to combine surgery with vision therapy, how to, you know, successfully really get strabismics closer to you can't really heal it, but closer. (laughs) And, you know, I talked to my ophthalmologist about this, who did my surgery and our ophthalmologist. Right. And he was telling me that there's no research out there that tests how surgery and vision therapy can be combined for a higher success rate. There's, it doesn't exist. So as a surgeon, like he doesn't know, is there a better way to perform this surgery because he doesn't usually do surgery on patients with strabismus who have done vision therapy. You know, I don't think I'm saying that correctly, but he doesn't usually combine them. 
We're the, we're the minority in other words. Yeah, we're the minority. And so there's even more guesswork than usual. And so I just think so many unknowns is really hard for people. And they, I think they give up. Yeah. But we are the minority, but we're also success. Exactly. So that's, that's huge. (laughs) It is. And so I think as people are able to see that success and realize like, Hey, here's somebody who it did work for then they start becoming curious and they start learning more. And as they go on their own journey and they figure out, Hey, this is going to work for me. I'm going to try vision therapy. And they start researching and understanding their condition more and like why their eyes are not straight. That is the first step in them on their journey, right? They get inspired and then they start educating themselves and then the doors are opened. Correct. That's yeah. That's awesome. So well said. Appreciate that. And I think it was great that you didn't bash on the doctors, but you just said they, they don't know, like they, they don't know how this all works together because nobody's studied it because they haven't worked together. Right. So it's like, okay, there's guesswork. Like you have to take a risk. Mm -hmm. If you, if you want to have success fixing strabismus, you are going to be, have to be willing to take risks and possibly not make the right choice. The first time you might have to try some things that don't work. And then you're like, okay that didn't work. I'm going to try something else. Like, I feel like you have to be open-minded. Your doctors have to be open-minded <laughs> the whole situation. Right. I don't know how many doctors you saw. I saw tons of doctors mm-hmm. and I walked out of experts in the field and thought, nope, they're wrong. That's wrong. That's not right. Mm-hmm. And I was right. Yeah. For sure. I think it's interesting, Karen, that both of us found fixing my gaze when we were 48. That is very interesting. And she was probably 48 too, right? 48. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want people to have to wait till they're 48. It's how many dates or jobs could I have had that I didn't know? I didn't really care about my eye. I think I was so convinced there was nothing I can do about it. I ignored it. And how, how many beautiful things could you have seen in your life? I know. It's, yeah. it's really amazing. Yeah. And, and my heart breaks for people who don't know or have made the decision to have a, a, another surgery that failed. And then because it failed and then vision therapy that they tried didn't work after six months, it's, it's like, okay, I'm done. And I just don't think it should be that way. Thank you for listening to the Healing Our Sight podcast today. To order Melissa's course, Mastering Peripheral, go to learn.strabismussolutions.com and put in the code HEAL10 for 10% off that course. You're going to love it. Please join the Facebook group Healing Our Sight to make comments and suggestions. And stay tuned for the next podcast. We have some great things coming.